I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Short Tales, a series of short stories written and read by me, Damien Robb. We'll get to this episode's story shortly, but first, I want you to imagine you're at the back of a discount store. Fluorescent bulbs cast a too bright and slightly yellow light, and the shelves are stocked with random items, packaged and presented in plastic and cardboard. Behind you, in the wall, is a door. It's barely noticeable, the same dirty white as the walls, and looks as if it hasn't been opened in at least a decade. Which is why it's so strange when you hear a knock coming from the other side. Okay, you ready? Good. This episode's story is entitled, The Door at the Back of the Discount Store. I've found that there are moments in your life that carry huge weight. Turning points that redirect the flow of your existence like a black hole pulling in gravity. But that you don't realise until afterwards, sometimes long afterwards, just how meaningful those moments are. I also know that the opposite exists. Experiences that, as you are living them, you are painfully and blisteringly aware of just how monumentous they are. This is one of the latter, and happened to me when I was 14, and still living in Warham. This is the story of how I met the Rabbit King. Warham in 2002 wasn't so different as it is now. It's expanded at the edges, much as I have, although it with housing estates and the odd warehouse rather than love handles brought on from a slowing metabolism and a steady sweet tooth. It also looks newer, I suppose, but in a way that to my eye seems like makeup. Buildings have been knocked down and rebuilt, subdivisions have been added, and so it feels fuller than it used to. But all you have to do is squint, and you'll see Warham as it was. Because it's all still there, just hidden behind the modern facades and updated decor. To a boy of 14, it was fine. Boring, for the most part, but largely inoffensive, excepting some of the people who I felt forced to share the town with, like Catherine O'Doherty cat to most people, Kit Kat to her friends, by her demand, a pain in the ass to me. She was there that day, at the small discount store we called Kavanaugh's, a name already outdated, handed down to us by our parents, and a holdover from the couple that had previously owned it when it had been a milk bar and newsagents. I've forgotten now what its real name was. It was coming on to winter, the tail end of autumn, but grey and cold enough that you wouldn't know any different. It was a Saturday, and so my brothers, Steve and Wom, whose actual name was Warren, but who everyone called Wom due to him breaking into a wombat enclosure in an animal park when he'd been four, and we were doing what we were doing most Saturdays, picking up our weekly bag of no-name licorice bullets. I can't remember when the ritual began, but it was a good one, 
Our parents weren't much for pocket money. We were given $5 a month, which we could double if we did the weekly chores that our parents liked the least. It still wasn't much. I had friends who got $20 a week for doing nothing. But it was enough to allow a purchase of a bag of no-name licorice bullets every other week. And so that's what we did. Our parents tried to suggest we save it, that even small amounts of money added up if you were patient and diligent enough. But I, at least, had no interest in that. I believed, and still do, that buying those licorice bullets with my brothers was the absolute best way I could spend that money. It made me happy, not just for the cheap chocolate and sugar-filled licorice, but for the time spent with my brothers and the ritual we shared. That's what it was all about, really. The ritual. We would ride down every other Saturday morning at around 10am. It would take about 20 minutes since we lived on the outskirts of town. Then, with licorice bullets bought and the return trip completed, we would read fantasy books as we absentmindedly picked away at our individual sweets, taking just one small hard bullet at a time and working at it until it slowly broke up and dissolved. If you did it right, you could stretch that small bag of licorice bullets out over the entire weekend. We arrived at the Kavanaugh's warm and red-faced that morning. We'd rugged up to face the cold, but had done too good a job, and so de-jacketed as soon as we were off our bikes. Steve, my older brother and our undeniable leader, led the way into the store, followed by me and Wom, who was the youngest. Pete was working that day. A 20-year-old who smelled faintly of weed, as I would later learn, had hair that wanted to be dreadlocks but in truth was just unwashed, and was in a band that was always just days away from making it. Steve greeted him with a wave as we entered through the sliding doors, an electronic chime dinged to announce our arrival. I also gave a half-hearted wave, but in a way that I didn't really want it to be seen. Steve had a way of talking with adults that I hadn't yet mastered, or even apprenticed in. My own parents were fine, but I had no idea what to say to the rest of them. Pete turned back to the counter and whatever he was reading there, and we turned towards the chocolate aisle. We took two steps, then Pete called out, Yo, Steve, check this out. I've thought about it a lot and have often wondered if Pete hadn't called out at that moment, would any of it have happened? Would we have simply purchased our licorice bullets and been on our way? The day spent eating and reading, the same as any other Saturday. It seems likely, but I'll never know for sure. Because Steve turned and walked over to Pete, and Wom and I diligently followed. What Pete wanted to show Steve was the graphic novel he was reading. It's called Sandman, I think you'll really dig it. Oh yeah, Steve said, and I could hear the excitement in his voice. It's about this group of cult guys who try to capture death through this satanic ritual, but fuck it up. Oh, uh, sorry for the language, he said, looking at Wom and me. But instead, they capture the Lord of Dreams. Whoa, cool, Steve said. Yeah, they have him trapped for years and all this bad stuff happens because of it until he finally breaks out and then he's pissed. And then a whole bunch of other stuff happens. It's all really good. Sound like your kind of thing? Steve nodded enthusiastically, and there was a part of me that wanted to tell him that it couldn't be his kind of thing. Where were the wizards, the dragons, the gruff warriors with a heart of gold from the books we read? Here, I can lend you the first one, I've already finished it, Pete said, handing over a glossy A4 book. I looked over Steve's shoulder as he flipped through the pages. The artwork flashed by as Steve's thumb released page after page. Years later, after Steve had brought all the collected issues for himself, I would find the courage to read those graphic novels and fall in love with the drama and richness of them all. But on that day in the discount store, as I looked over my brother's shoulder, the images seemed dark and strange and scary to me. You sure? Steve asked, 
looking up at Pete with stars in his eyes. Yeah, man, just bring her back here when you're done. I will, Steve insisted. Thanks. We turned away from the counter, Steve's eyes still fixed to the glossy pages of pictures and words, when the doors whooshed open, the electronic ding sounded, and Kit Kat walked in. I felt a groan in my throat, but didn't let it out because I didn't want to draw her attention. It didn't matter. She might have turned down one of the aisles, and then I could have carefully avoided her like a minotaur in a maze, but Steve, head still lost in the pages of his new book, walked forward without looking and bumped into her. Sorry, he said, looking down at her. Kat was around my height, with shoulder-length brown hair, athletic in that horse-girl kind of way, and had a mouth that when she smiled reminded me of the Cheshire Cats. She looked from Steve to me, and that smile grew on her face. Is that my ducky I see there? How I hated that nickname. Hated it because it came from her. Hated it because I found it belittling. Hated it because there wasn't even a reason for it. She just decided to start calling me it one day. It's Tim, I growled. Okay, ducky, she said back, smiling wider as though we were playing a game. I turned and walked away from her toward the chocolate aisle. Steve and Wom followed. Unfortunately, so did she. What are you buying, ducky? She called out from behind my brothers. I grumbled out a none of your business, but it did little to dissuade her. If anything, the grumpier I got with her, the more pleased she seemed. I looked back over my shoulder and passed my brothers to see her smiling at me. Steve was lost in his comic and Wom just looked confused. He wasn't the only one. Not wanting to give Kat the satisfaction, I walked past the glossy bags of lollies and tempting blocks of chocolate and headed towards the back of the store. She continued to follow, as did my brothers. We were an impromptu conga line heading to nowhere. I realised I had no end plan for this move and felt my face flush. Anger replaced embarrassment. How come she always had to do this to me, be weird and pushy, and end up forcing me to act in dumb ways like walking pointlessly around a store? Looking back, I should have figured it out far quicker, but I was more used to having crushes than being on the receiving end of one. Still, the knowing look on my mum's face whenever I complained to her about Kat's behaviour should have been clue enough. Our conga line made it to the back of the store where I was faced with racks of car accessories, a grimy once white door, and nowhere left to go. My embarrassment and anger peaked. I spun around and stepped forward past my brothers, moving close to the still-smiling cat. Stop following us! I barked into her face. Her smile faltered, but she held onto it as best she could. Ducky, don't be like that. (laughs) She said it with a forced giggle that grated my nerves. I was acutely aware of Steve and Wom behind me. This was meant to be our morning, our ritual, my favourite part of the week, and she had ruined it. Piss off, I yelled. You're so fucking annoying. Her smile crumpled. It was one of the first times I had said that word, the F one, let alone yelled it into someone's face. I tried to hold on to my anger, but it was falling away from me like licorice bullets through open fingers. Cat bit her lip, holding back a tremble. I, I started, not sure what I was going to say, whether I was about to double down on my outburst or apologise for it. I'm still not sure even all these years later because I was interrupted by a muffled noise coming from behind the closed door. The sound may have been a growl or a whimper. It existed somewhere between the two, hard to define. Kat's eyes moved to the door and I followed her gaze. Steve, graphic novel still held open in his hands but momentarily forgotten, looked from the door to me. He shook his head, confirming he didn't know what it was either. 
The sound came again, undeniable. We all took a step back, except for Wom who stepped forward and knocked on the door. Rap, rap, rap. Steve put out a hand in front of him. Wom, no, he whispered. Three knocks sounded from the other side of the door. Someone's back there, Wom said, saying what we're all thinking. It doesn't matter, Steve said, trying to sound confident. We, we should probably leave them be. But what if they're trapped? Wom asked. I, I don't know, Steve said and all of us looked to the grimy white door again. The lock and handle were rust-splattered, and judging by the dust build up at the base of the door, it hadn't been opened in a while. Cat let out a sigh of exasperation. Just open it? She said, like it was the most obvious thing in the world. Steve and I looked at each other, uncertainty stark on both our faces. Really? Cat said as she pushed past us. Her hand took hold of the round, tarnished doorknob and turned. The door rattled against its lock as it failed to open. Locked, Steve said, relief in his voice. But someone's back there, Wom said again. Yeah, but it's locked, mate, Steve told him. Nothing we can do. Ask your friend, Wom replied, pointing back to the front of the store. Pete? Steve said, looking up. I guess I could. I wouldn't want to bother him. Neither would I, I thought. Pete was an adult, one happy to treat Steve as an equal. This suddenly felt like kid stuff imagining noises and picturing monsters. It's important, Wom told him with all the sincerity and seriousness of a six-year-old. Yeah, I guess, Steve said, rubbing a hand through his hair. He looked at the door, then at the comic and closed it slowly, as though he was seeing it for the last time. He took a deep breath and walked forward. Wom followed, trailed by me and then Cat. I could feel her behind me. Pete was talking on his phone as we approached. He said something about heading to Iggy's for some pre-drinks to whoever he was talking to, then noticed us, said he had to go and hung up. Not buying anything? He said, stubble shifting on his face as the corners of his mouth rose into a small smile. No, uh, we will. It's just... Steve paused, sighed. We thought we heard a noise from behind the door in the back. We thought, um, maybe someone was trapped in there. Pete's eyebrows rose. His smile dropped, came back, dropped again. Whoa, serious? That's crazy. We all heard it, I said, feeling the need to defend my brother. Wom nodded, and I could feel the movement of Cat behind me doing the same. Maybe you could open it, Steve said, just to make sure everything's all right? Yeah, man, of course. Let me just... Pete turned, looking around beneath the counter. Find the... Ah, there they are. He held up a small keyring of keys, all of them different shades of tarnished grey. Let's go rescue a dude. Pete swung the small door built into the counter, stepped out and led us back through the store. Kind of forgot there's even a door back here. Not sure what key to use, but it must be one of these, right? We'll just have to try them all. Sounds good, Steve said. You know in that comic I lent you, the main dude, Morpheus, ends up with a key to hell. Let's hope that's not what we're dealing with. (laughs) Pete let out a laugh at his joke and Steve kind of chuckled too. I felt sick. Hello, Pete called out as we approached the door. He rapped on it hard three times with his knuckles, ear turned towards the door, listening for a reply. Anyone back there? I winced. No reply came. Not a voice or a return knock. Pete shrugged at us and turned back. Like I said, might as well try all these keys. Uh, let's go with this one first. He took hold of a key that looked no different from any other. It opens the cleaning cupboard, so I don't know, maybe it opens this one too. 
It slid in but refused to turn. No luck. Let's try key number two, Pete declared. As he moved to the next key along on the ring, Cat stepped up next to me. I kept my eyes ahead as Pete once more tried and failed with key number two. As he took hold of key number three, I flicked my eyes across at Cat. Her own eyes were watching Pete, but perhaps sensing my gaze turned to me. I looked back at Pete as key number three also proved unable to open the door and felt heat rise up my neck. Key number four had no luck, and key number five didn't even fit the lock. No go, my friends, Pete said, looking at us. What a mystery, though, right? There are no other keys, Wom said. At our houses, there are lots of keys. Which was true. Our dad had a habit of not keeping them all together, either. It became a treasure hunt whenever he wanted to open the back shed. I mean, I guess there must be, but I've never been given them. Pete thought about this for a moment and then looked up. We could look in the house. The house? Kat asked. Her first word since trying to open the door. Yeah, above the store. No one lives there now. The previous owners, the, uh... Kavanaugh's, Steve and I said together. Yeah, that's it. Good memory, Pete said. Our parents still call it by that name, Steve explained, pointing around at the store. Cool. So, yeah, the Kavanaugh's used to live up there. I don't think anyone's even been up there since they went missing, so as far as I know, it's still decked out with all their old stuff, which could include the key. I looked at Steve. The morning was already ticking away. There was a book back home waiting for me, and a bag of licorice bullets. But Steve was only looking at Pete. Steve? I said, not wanting to actively voice my unwillingness. Steve looked at me and hesitated, big brother responsibilities kicking in. Oh, come on, dude. This is a mystery. Gotta solve it, Pete said. Yeah, come on, Tim, Steve said. It's an adventure. Our books can wait. What could I say? Nothing. Especially not once Wom grabbed my hand and gave me that serious and sincere look. I nodded at the group. Cool, Pete said. This way, fellow explorers. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. He led us back toward the counter, opened the small door and waved us through. To the right of the counter was another door, this one timber. I had vague memories of there being a bead curtain back there when the Kavanaugh's had owned it. Pete opened the door and led us through. Whoa, 
we said, more impressed by being in the bowels of the store than by what we found there, which was a small toilet and sink area, and a staircase leading up to the second story. A chime sounded, the electronic ding. Pete turned to the sound and swore softly. Here, he said to Steve, thrusting the keys at him. One of these should let you in. I'll be up as soon as I've dealt with this customer. Don't find anything too cool till I get there. He went back through the door and Steve's face turned unsure. He stood for a moment, watching the way Pete had left, then turned to face the staircase. Well, Kat said, are we going or not? I'd almost forgotten she was still with us. You don't have to come with us, you know, I told her. She gave me a smile that didn't reach her eyes. I want to know what's behind the door, Ducky. Come on, let's go. She gave Steve and me a little shove and the four of us headed up the stairs. The door at the top was old. It was painted a peeling reddish brown that spoke of the 70s. Unlike the one downstairs, it let us in with the first key Steve tried. As Steve swung the door open, my breath caught. The room was dark and a smell of rot rolled out at us. Steve stepped inside, quickly becoming a silhouette amongst silhouettes. Light took over the room as Steve pulled open one of the blinds. I saw with surprise that the little apartment was just that, an apartment. Nothing strange about it other than it had sat untouched for years. The doorway led into a small living room. Wom, Cat and I slowly stepped inside after Steve and looked around at the place. There was an old brown couch with a crochet blanket laid over it off to our right. The couch was a representation of the whole apartment, in that it was soft and sagging, outdated and spotted with stains that would likely never come out. Steve stood on the other side of it, where the window, coated with years of dust, let in the dirty line. So, anyone see the key? Steve asked. He was being sarcastic. There was stuff everywhere. The leftover detritus of two people's lives. Two people, it would seem, who weren't that big on tidying up. It also had the added benefit of age. Dust hung in the air, coupled with that smell of rot. This adventure, that I already wasn't that keen on, suddenly seemed a lot less adventurous. Dad puts them in the drawers, Mom announced. Which was true. Our dad regularly put keys in the kitchen drawers, along with all the other random bits and pieces he kept there, so that even if you knew a key was in one of the drawers, it still became impossible to find. Good thinking, Mom, Steve said. Why don't you and I check in the kitchen? Wait, I said, realising that would leave me alone with Kat. Maybe we should all look in there? What? Why? Just because if that's where they are, then we'll find them faster with all of us looking? No, they could be anywhere, mate. You guys look in here. He turned and led Wom through a doorway at the back of the room. Kat was smiling at me. Just you and me, ducky? I turned away from her and moved to a bureau on the other side of the doorway. Its top was lined with little statues and photo frames. Underneath each was a once white, now yellow doily. Years of dust coated it all. I picked up one of the photo frames. In it was the Kavanaghs, or who I presumed were the Kavanaghs. They were sitting on the same brown couch that stood across the room from me. It looked newer and more plump in the photo. They were sitting side by side, as close as you can get, with their cheeks squished up against each other, laughing as they looked at the camera. He was round and bald, cheeks red like Santa's except lacking the signature beard. She had glasses and a bob of brown hair. Both sets of eyes were squinted in joy, mouths open as they laughed. She had her arm around his shoulder, and he had his hand on her leg. They look happy, Kat said from over my shoulder. I startled, bumped into the bureau, and caused a statue of a porcelain rabbit to fall onto the thick, yellowy-orange shag carpet. Oh, did I scare you, ducky? She asked, picking up the statue. Don't call me that. Why do you call me that? 
I barked, heart still fluttering from the fright. She looked at me quizzically. Do you really not know? What? No. Why? Is there actually a reason? She didn't reply. Instead, she searched my face as though looking for something. Then she looked away. You've hurt me, ducky, she said, sounding truly wounded. What? You're so weird. Well, you're mean. She spat the words with an intensity I'd not seen from her before. No, I'm not, I said, face reddening as I did my best not to think of how I'd yelled at her earlier. Yes, you are. I always try to be nice to you and you just be mean and mean and mean. Whenever I talk to you, you don't even reply. You just walk away or scoff or roll your eyes or say something rude. Yeah, but, I stumbled, wanting to say, but you call me ducky, but also knowing how lame that sounded. But what? Cat pushed. What did I ever do to you? You just... You're always there, always bothering me, always like... I spluttered again, my little 14-year-old brain tripping over the fact that I really didn't have a strong reason for disliking Cat. Trying to be your friend? She finished for me. No, well, how about the fact that you force all your friends to call you Kit Kat? Don't you see how controlling that is, Catherine? My chin rose and her mouth pursed. Catherine is my grandmother's name. I was named after her, but she's horrible. Mum doesn't even see her anymore because she's so mean. You'd probably get along with her great. And anyway, so what if I ask people to call me Kit Kat? Why is that so wrong? Again, I didn't have an answer, so I deflected. Well, I never asked you to call me Ducky. I was right. It did sound lame. Fine, I'll stop, she said in a controlled voice as she pushed the statue of the rabbit into my hand. She turned and walked to the opposite side of the room and stopped in front of a wall-to-ceiling bookshelf that stood beside the doorway to the kitchen. A slew of embarrassment and shame and anger boiled together inside of me, making me feel hot and sick. I considered going to her and apologising, but the stubborn, unsure part of me held on to the fact that no matter what she said, I never asked to be called Ducky and didn't like the nickname, convincing myself into believing that somehow that put me in the right. I sighed and put the rabbit statue back on the shelf. It teetered forward, as though leaning in to judge me. Its base was uneven, and I wondered if I had broken it somehow when it fell. Oh well, I decided. It's not like the Kavanaugh's were coming back anytime soon to tell me off. And, I reminded myself, it's not like I'd wanted to come up here in the first place. All I'd wanted was to buy some licorice bullets and go home. I should be there right now, in my spot on the chair by the window, with Steve stretched out on the sofa and one half buried in a beanbag. That was my Saturday, not this. Steve screamed from the kitchen. Cat and I looked at each other, then raced to the doorway. In the kitchen, the smell of rot was overwhelming. What was it? What happened? I asked. Steve was sitting on the floor, back pressed up against one of the old and orangey wooden cupboards, hands over his nose. Wom stood next to him, looking nonplussed. He opened the fridge, Wom told us. Steve's face was pale, and I saw him swallow hard as he turned to us. It's full of food, he said. I shrugged my shoulders and raised my hands in a way that said... Yeah, sure, that's what fridges are for. Food that's been in there for years, he clarified, which explained the smell. Steve swallowed again and I got the distinct sense he was trying not to vomit. Ew, Cat added. Did you find the key? Wom asked. No, I said. I think it's time we should go. No, Steve said, pushing himself up. We told Pete we'd find it. There's nothing to find. We don't even know for sure it's up here. Steve bent to pick up a piece of paper and magnet from the floor. Casualties from his slamming of the fridge door. 
We've barely looked. We need to at least check every room. Fine, I said, feeling the beginnings of a full-on sulk growing inside of me. Let's just hurry up. But Steve wasn't listening. He was reading the piece of paper. Huh, he said. What is it? Cat asked. Well, that's one mystery solved, Steve said, showing us the paper. The banner head read Warham General Hospital. Mr. Kavanagh had cancer. Terminal, it says here, which means he was going to die. Must be why he and his wife skipped town. Maybe travelled or something as like a final adventure type thing. And just left everything behind? Cat asked. Including the food? Why not? I doubt any of that seems important if you know you're going to die. Steve stuck the paper back to the fridge. All right, well, we checked all the drawers and cupboards in here and I didn't find anything. And that fridge is a definite no-go. There was nothing out there? I shrugged a no, mostly to cover the fact that I'd barely looked. I didn't find the key, but I did find something very interesting, Kat said. What? Steve asked. She affixed a pleased look that infuriated me for some reason and wiggled her fingers to indicate we should follow her. She led us back through the doorway into the tall bookshelf. She splayed out a hand like a magician, pulling off a trick. It was full of books. Cookbooks, for the most part. Books, Steve said. Cookbooks, I confirmed. Kat rolled her eyes and I felt I could sense the word boys unsaid on her breath. Not those, obviously. Look closer. So we did. I studied the books more closely and as I did, some of the spines stood out. They were older and frayed and had titles like Aradia, the Gospel of the Witches, or Calendarium Natural Magicum Perpetum, or Grimorum Verum. Steve gave a sharp inhale and whispered shit under his breath. Yeah, Kat said, looking even more pleased with herself. What? I said, feeling left out and not liking it. They're occult books, Kat cried. Black magic? Witchcraft and stuff? So they were witches? I asked. Well, we don't know that. Kat said. I mean, they also have cookbooks, but that doesn't make them chefs, you know what I mean? But they definitely had an interest, which I find very interesting. Do you think I should take one of these? No, Steve said, looking uncomfortable. I think we should search this place, then get out. Finally, someone was speaking my language. Woman, I will search in here, I said, pointing towards a room down the hall. Kat made a noise of some kind, but I ignored it. I took Wom's hand and led him to the room in question, which turned out to be a spare bedroom. Only was empty of a bed or wardrobe or mirror or anything else you might expect of a bedroom. Instead, there were a number of very dead houseplants arranged in a circle in the middle of the room. That wasn't the strangest thing about the room, however. A variety of symbols, all done in black paint, covered the walls and ceilings around us. What now? I sighed. Wom let go of my hand and approached the closest wall. He reached a finger towards it. I followed him. His eyes moved from one symbol to the other, inspecting them. I followed suit. They were interesting, all painted with a neat and dainty hand, and there was a design to the symbols that suggested a pattern, something to do with the circular nature of each one, many looking like circles within circles, making them seem like letters from a language I was unfamiliar with. If they were a language, though, they didn't seem to form words. Their ordering was too disorganised and shambolic for that, None of them sat in straight lines. Instead, their positioning seemed random. They make spirals, Mom said, tracing a series of the symbols with his hand, connecting one to the other in a circular motion. I looked at him, wondering if he had read my mind, then followed the line he had traced and saw that he was right. With the design pointed out, it seemed obvious, like a magic eye shifting into focus. This is so weird, I said, 
turning from the wall to the ceiling as I followed the line of symbols up towards the centre of the room. That was when I saw the bath. It sat in the centre of the circle of dead plants, small, white and plastic. A cheap child's bath. Dead, dried-out insects sat inside of it. The cavity of the bath was lined with a brownish ring, indicating it had once housed water that had long ago spoiled and dried up. I stepped closer, moving past two of the plants and knelt to get a better look. There were symbols on the outside of the bath as well. These had been gouged into the hard plastic and then painted over with the same black paint. Except, against the stale white of the bath, it didn't look black, but a very dark red. Blood. The thought drifted into my head in that curious, knowing way. Blood that was dated and dried out and old enough to look black. I stumbled back away from it, knocking over one of the plants. Wom turned to look at me. One of his hands was up against the wall, fingers tracing the symbols. Don't touch it, I yelled. The whole room was drenched in the stuff. His fingers stayed where they were, his small, stern face confused. I moved over to him and pulled his hand away. Steve came in. You are right? Whoa, what is this? Kat stepped in after him. Is that blood? I felt a surge of annoyance that she'd figured it out so quickly. Yes, and I don't care what you say. We're getting out of here now. I directed the words towards Steve, but meant them for Kat as well. Steve nodded as he scanned the symbols. Okay, yeah, screw this, let's go. Kat looked delighted. This is so amazing. Proper occultists in Warham. They must have been trying to cast a spell or something, right? I wonder if it worked. Oh, hey, look, Kat said, pointing to a large grey and worn hardcover book lying on the floor on the far side of the bath. Come on, I said, we're going. Steve steered Wom to the doorway. My younger brother hadn't said a word. He was looking at his fingertips, which were dusted with the dried blood. I moved to follow them. Kat didn't, too enthralled. Come on, I repeated, and grabbed her hand to lead her from the room. We went up the hallway and into the lounge room. Hold on, Kat said, letting go of my hand. Let me just grab that book. Cat, I stressed. Tim, she said, repeating the tone and inflection I'd used. The name sounded strange coming from her. I was so used to Ducky. She jogged back to the bedroom and returned with a grey hardcover book. I don't think that's a good idea, Steve said from the doorway. God, you two are both as bad as each other. It'll be fine. Cat walked back towards me and retook my hand. Okay, now I'm ready. Steve, in a growing desperation to leave I understood only too well, swung the door open wide, causing it to hit the bureau behind it. The uneven rabbit statue toppled forward and once more fell to the floor. Wom picked it up, turning it over as he did so. Taped to its base was a key. As you may have noticed, this story is incomplete. You probably also noticed the part one in the title, so I'll save my usual afterthoughts for next month when I've released the second and final part of this story. So, for now, those are all my thoughts. But if you have any you'd like to share, please do. You can write to me at shorttales.podcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at MiddayPajamas. Also, while this podcast will always be free, if you'd like to throw a few extra dollars my way, you can do so by visiting co-fi.com forward slash DamienRobb. Or you can find all the appropriate links in the episode show notes. Until next time, this has been Short Tales, and I've been Damien Robb. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.